Hi, I'm Peter Palma, the pastor of Taipei International Church, and I want to thank you for tuning into our podcast today. This program is designed to encourage you, to help you grow in your faith, and draw you closer to Jesus. May God bless you as you listen. Amen. Have you ever failed on a project? Have you ever started a project or been part of a team that started a project with a lot of passion, a lot of excitement, a lot of vision, and then it just failed? It didn't happen. The product didn't get launched. The business went went south. The the building never got built. The, The scripture that we're looking at today is a story about a leader who failed, a couple leaders who failed. Joshua, the high priest, and Zerubbabel, the political leader of the people, he actually was uh, in line. He was the the son of the son of the king. He's the great grandson or or grandson of the last king of Israel, he came back with the exiles. They came back from Babylon and they were going to rebuild the temple. They were going to restore the worship to God and and we're in Zechariah. But if you have your Bible and you look at Ezra, I want to give you the context for what Esther just read. We look at Ezra chapter 1, we see that Cyrus, the king of Persia, says that the Jews can return and rebuild the house of the Lord that is in Jerusalem. And so in chapter 2, chapter 1 is the decree to return and rebuild. Chapter 2 is the people who return. And it says in verse 2, they came with Zerubbabel and Jeshua or Joshua. Chapter 3 begins to tell the story of the rebuilding. When the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. And there arose Joshua, the son of Josedek, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God, to, of the God of Israel, to offer burnt offerings on it as it's written in the law of Moses, the man of God. So they restore worship. After 70 years or so, they they restore worship. The temple is not rebuilt yet, but they've begun to offer. And here's what happens is verse 6. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food and drink and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant they had from the from Cyrus. So they gather together, they restore worship, but the building is in, is in ruins. It's rubble. And so they take an offering. They have money. They send off to get this uh, cedar from Lebanon. This is the best building materials you can get. I mean, there is passion. There is excitement. They've restored worship. The the vision is clear. They know what they need to do. They are going to re 
build the temple. They are going to fulfill the prophecy of Jeremiah. They, God is, his hand is on them. Cyrus sent them back as Jeremiah said, or Isaiah said, and here they are and they've decided they're going to rebuild. They appoint the leaders to do this. Chapter 3, it says, verse 9, Joshua with his sons and his brothers and their sons, the sons of Judah together, supervised the workmen in the house of God. And the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord and the priests in their vestments came forward and they, they had a worship service and there were some people who were shouting and some people laughing and rejoicing and other people who were crying and it was this beautiful thing. And it, it says, with a loud voice, they saw the foundation of this house being laid. And though many shouted aloud for joy, the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout and the sound was heard far away. So they have this incredible service, this passionate, amazing service. The foundation has been laid. How much excitement. God told them to do this. God sent them back. They've paid the workmen. They've organized the labor. They've worshipped. And then the adversaries rise up. The people around Jerusalem come in. And they say they want to build with them, but they don't worship God only. And so the people say, no, you can't help us. And from that moment on, they become enemies. It says the people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build. They bribed counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius. It goes on, uh, verse 6, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem to the king. It says, that, uh, verse 12, be it known to the king that the Jews who came up from you to us have gone to Jerusalem. They're rebuilding that rebellious and wicked city. That's a slander. So they're writing to the king. They're slandering the city says they're finishing the walls and repairing the foundations. Now be it known to the king, if the city is rebuilt and the walls finished, they will not pay tribute, custom, toll, and the royal revenue will be impaired. So they make these false accusations. They lie to the king. What are the things they've done so far? They discouraged the people. They made them afraid. They frustrated them by bribing count, uh, officials. And when you're bribed... And your job is to frustrate people. We can imagine what they may have done. They may they frustrate them. They slander them. They lie about them. They accuse them falsely of things that are not being done. And what's the impact on the people? If, if you're the leader and there are false accusations going out against you, if you're the leader and people around are slandering, they're, they're buying people off, they're discouraging, 
what's the impact on the people? One, they get discouraged, so they're not going to work. Two, you're afraid. You don't know what's going on. The king gets this letter, doesn't check the records, but he sends a decree back. Tell them to stop. The king stops the work. And it says in, in verse 23, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem by force and power made them cease. By force and power, they stopped them. Now, whoa, where were they just a couple months ago, a few months ago? They were, God has brought us back. God is empowering us. God is helping us. God has anointed us. We're restoring worship. It's going to be awesome. We're going to do this work. We've paid the workmen, and now everything and everyone is against them, and what they've done has been destroyed. How do you handle that if you're a leader? If you were the great, 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 great grandson of King David, the, the rightful heir to the throne, and now you're powerless. If you're the high priest, the one who's supposed to rebuild the temple, the one whose hand God is on, and now it's all frustrated. The people are all discouraged and afraid, and all the money they put into rebuilding is now lost because some outsiders came and destroyed what they built. How do, you, how do you handle that as a leader? Maybe you make excuses. Maybe you blame the Persians. Maybe, maybe you, you blame the enemies. But you still have to function as a leader. I imagine they were confused. I imagine that they probably wept at home and said, God, I thought, I thought you were sending me. God, I thought you were going to help us. God, I thought this was the vision you had. God, I thought, where are you, God? And maybe for a season they questioned God and they blamed God and said, what have you done to us? And then maybe they realize that God is always good and he's always righteous. And so then they may have turned to themselves and said, what is wrong with me? It must be my fault because I'm the leader. This is what God prophesied would happen. How could this happen? And, and maybe, maybe God's purpose is for somebody else. Maybe I'm not the one. Maybe there's another leader God is going to raise up to do this. What would it have been like for Zerubbabel and Joshua? What emotions would have been going through their mind. Well, years start to go by. You can hold out hope for a little while, but years go by. Imagine a year later, two years later, five years later, 10 years later. What must they have felt every time they walked by the temple site? And they saw the foundation is there, but it's in ruins. I imagine regret, shame, frustration, disappointment. And then maybe it gets to the point where they're just numb. And they've just written it off and said, maybe it's for my children, but it's not for me. How do you think God felt about Zerubbabel and, and Joshua? Joshua. 
his leaders, his leaders that he had anointed, his leaders that he had chosen, his leaders that he had sent, his leaders that he had resourced, and, and they've quit. They're not even trying. For 16 years, there is no attempt to do anything. What would we expect God to do? Well, if God were a CEO, what would he do with underperforming executives? You get some new ones. But God's not a CEO, is he? God is a father. What does a father do with underperforming children? Does he get some new ones? <laughs> he starts speaking to them. And that's where we get to Haggai, where we've been the last two weeks. And God says it's time to rebuild. It's time to rebuild. What would it have been like for those two men who said, we tried that 16 years ago. You don't know. You weren't here 16 years ago, Haggai. You don't know what it was like. It would have been so easy for them to make excuses, so easy for them to say, yeah, we had a dream, but you know what happened when we started? Look around. Our enemies are still here. The king stopped us, Haggai. How do you think we're supposed to rebuild this temple? But that's not how they respond to Haggai, is it? We, we talked about it. They, they heard Haggai's message, and they, they came together, and they said, okay. We're going to start. We're going to start again. 16 years later, we're going to start on the same building project. We're going to start on the same mission. And we believe that this is the word of God. And so we're going to go to it. But God is a father, right? God is a father. He's, he's not just a general contractor. His goal is not just to build a building. His goal is to build a family. And so if you're a, a general contractor, you can discard men that don't do their job. But a father cannot. And so as a father, what does God do for Zechariah or for Joshua? We read chapter 4, and we're going to get to chapter 4 in a minute, but first I want to take you to Zechariah 3. How much shame did the high priest feel that he could not pull this building together, that he could not rebuild the temple of God? It was his job. He was the leader. How much shame would he have felt that it failed 16 years of failure? His fathers before him had a, a beautiful temple, a beautiful building, but when he got the job, it was failure. What does God say? Well, he gives Zechariah the prophet a vision. Zechariah in chapter 3, he says, Then he showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. What do you think Satan was accusing him of? Satan's there standing before God. The high priest is standing before God. Satan's right here accusing him. What's he accusing him of? I'm sure all is sin. What do we do when we're depressed? We feel like we're failures. Probably we go indulge in some sin. 
And so who knows what sin he had committed. But I also imagine that Satan is over here saying he's a failure. God, look, you gave him a job. He couldn't even do it. You told him rebuild the temple. What's he been doing for the last 16 years? He hasn't been doing anything. He is a failure. And how does God respond? Says the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. He's saying, shut up, Satan. Shut up. Is this not a burning stick plucked from the fire? Is this not someone I rescued? Is this not my child? Says Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. The the word for filthy stands for vomit and human excrement. That's what he's dressed in. That's what he looks like. That's what he's done. And what does the angel say? He says, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I have taken your iniquity away from you. And I will clothe you with pure Vestments, And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of the Lord was standing by. God took this failure of a leader. Says, I'm going to take away your sin. I'm going to give you new clothing. And I'm going to reinstate you. Because God is not a CEO, he's a father. God is not just building a building, he's building a family. Can you relate to Joshua? Maybe there's some of us here who 16 years ago, 20 years ago, God gave us a vision. God gave us a purpose. God gave us a, a blueprint, a plan to do something for his kingdom. And we faced opposition and we quit. We gave up. We said, you know, there are really tough circumstances and we just let it die. And, and we said, well, I don't, it must have been my fault. Maybe some of us can relate to that. What does God say to Joshua? He says, if you will walk in my ways and keep charge, then you shall rule my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you the right of access among those who are standing here. He says, Joshua, if you will walk with me, you can lead. These last 16 years, I'm washing them away. I'm going to erase them. I'm going to forget about them. If you will walk with me now, you can lead. What does God do with the other leaders? Zerubbabel, the descendant of the king. Well, God deals with him in chapter 4. The one who could have sent a delegation 
to the king of Persia and said, you know, King, uh, king Cyrus was the one who gave us permission to do this. Please check your records. But Zerubbabel never took that action. And, and we don't know why he didn't take that action. But, but there's some failure in his leadership. And it's been 16 years where he's just trying to help the community survive. And what does God say? It says, this is the word, chapter 4. This is the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, not by might nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. Because Zerubbabel is hearing these prophets say, now is the time God is with us. But in his mind, he's saying, where was God 16 years ago? We tried this before. It didn't work. I did not work. I couldn't pull it together. And God is saying to Zerubbabel, it's not about you. It's not about your ability, Zerubbabel. It's not about your talent or your authority. It is my spirit. How are we going to get this done? We're going to get it done through my spirit. He says, who are you? You know, and Zerubbabel is probably saying, yeah, but the enemies are still out there. We don't have the money. The last time I asked people to give and they invested in this project, everything was lost. They're not going to give again, God. And all the people who are so pessimistic who were around here 16 years ago, they're going to say, we trusted you last time. And what does God say? He says, oh, great mountain, who are you? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. All those obstacles, God is going to flatten. And he says, he shall bring forward the top stone amid shouts of grace, grace to it. Then the word of the Lord came to me saying, the hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also complete it. Sixteen years ago, Zerubbabel laid the foundation. And God is saying, you started it. You're going to finish it. What did this prophecy mean for Zerubbabel? What did it mean for this leader who was in limbo for 16 years, who felt like a failure for 16 years, who felt like he didn't measure up to his ancestors for 15, 16 years? What do you think it meant? It meant that God has not discarded me. The dream that God put in my heart is still alive and active. And maybe there's failure in your life somewhere. And you think maybe God has discarded me. Maybe what God put in my heart is nullified and void because of sin, because of rebellion, because I quit. Maybe you feel that way. Zechariah shows us what God does with people who failed. He takes away their sin. He points them to the future. He says, walk with me now. Walk with me now. 
And whatever your past is like, whatever you went through, if you ever quit on God, God has not quit on you. He's not giving up on you. He's not going to give up on you because he's not a CEO. He's a father. He's not just building a kingdom. He's building his family, and he wants you to be part of it. It's his project, not your project. He wants you to join him. And he says to Zerubbabel, he he says, whoever has despised the day of small things shall rejoice. And the, the Hebrew there, it really is what it's saying is do not despise the day of small beginnings. Because there are going to be people there who are pessimistic and saying, you couldn't do it before, you can't do it now, look at the rubble, look at our enemies, look at all these problems, it's never going to happen. And God is saying, you know what, when this is rebuilt, the people who are pessimistic are going to rejoice. And what did Zerubbabel and Joshua do? They started working. They believed that God was speaking to them through Haggai and Zechariah. They started working, and Ezra is the story. It tells us what happened. So it's been 16 years since they were stopped, and they start building again. Ezra chapter 5 says, The prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Edo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Jerusalem, and the name of God of Israel was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Josedek, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. What did they do? They believed God is speaking to us, and they responded, and they started building. Sixteen years. They hadn't done anything. God speaks and says, get back at it. I'm with you. They believe it. They go back to work. But circumstances have not changed. It's not as though they have enough money to complete the project. It's not as though the enemies have become their friends. What is it like to to begin a project by faith, not knowing if if the work is going to last? And actually what happened, they start rebuilding... And Haggai, remember, Haggai said that the Lord says that he will shake the nations and he'll bring the desire of all nations into this house. He'll bring treasure into this house. And so there's this promise from God that they cannot see, that as you begin to work, as you work, I'm going to work and bring resources in. So they do not have the resources they need to complete the project, but they have enough to start. So they start. While they're working, the ruler of the area comes, the governor of the province, Tatanai, and says in uh, verse 3, Who gave you a decree to build this house and finish this structure? What are the names of the men who are building this building? Uh Uh-oh. We went through this 16 years ago. What happened 16 years ago? When a letter got sent to the king, 
the king came back and he stopped us. It takes four to five months for a letter to go and an answer to come back. They continued building, not knowing if the work they did would be nullified and destroyed once again. How could they do that? They could have held back and said, okay, well, let's not build. Let's just wait. Let's just wait and see. Let's see what the king says. Let's see uh, if, if this is going to last. Zerubbabel could have said, I've been through this before. But this time, Zerubbabel and Joshua are not afraid. This time, they're believing the word of God that God has said, build this house. And so they keep building. And I think Zerubbabel and Joshua are saying, I would rather obey the voice of the Lord. And if I die, I will die. But I want to obey God. 16 years of disappointment and probably depression, 16 years of frustration, 16 years of failure and feeling like God is giving me another chance. I am going to give it my all and I'll leave it in God's hands. And the word of the Lord comes back from Darius the king who made a search of the records. He realized that the previous king Cyrus had indeed said rebuild this house. And so this is what he says to the governor who had threatened the workers, keep away, let them alone so they can rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for the elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue. So not only did they have permission to rebuild, the king is going to pay for it. This is what God promised through Haggai. I'm going to shake the nations and bring treasures here. This is what he promised. They had no way of knowing how God was going to do it, but they believed his word. They believed what God said was true. And so they worked. They did what they could while they could. And God came through for them. And the temple was rebuilt. And the man who started it was the man who finished it. So where does that leave us? What does that tell us is... We're in this place as we're fewer in number. Well, what does it tell us about our God? What does it tell us about our God? He doesn't give up. He doesn't quit. He doesn't discard people. He gives people second chances. He gives people another opportunity. He doesn't take away all the obstacles before the building starts. He doesn't answer all the questions before he starts. But he wants us to trust him. He wants us to believe in him. Two years ago, the elders of our church realized there was no vision for TIC. In fact, when I first came here, I asked the elders, I said, what's, what's the vision 
for the church? Where, what's our vision? And, and the answer in that meeting was, well, actually, the last time we had a vision meeting, the only thing we could agree on was the church was dying. There's no vision. So we took a year and we waited. And it was Steve Panta who said that in the meeting. I think Brad and I were probably the only ones who were there that are in this room. And we took a year to work on a few things. And then two years ago, back in January, we said, you know what? We need to start seeking the Lord for a vision. We need to start praying for a vision. And we looked at getting a, a church consultant to help us to walk us through the process, someone who had walked many other churches through it, and then we found out it was going to cost about 20,000 U.S. dollars or 600,000 NT. And Peter Chan said, you know what, let's just give it our best shot. Let's give it our best shot and see what we come up for, with, and if we fail, then we can get a consultant. But we're going to go for it. And so what did we do? We, we gathered on Saturdays. And we would look at, we looked at churches all around the world. This is how we did it. We, we looked at churches in Japan, looked at church, churches in Asia. Uh, we looked at a church in England. We looked at a church in Africa. We looked at churches in the States, a church in Australia. We would read through their vision and their mission and their values as a church, as a, a, a board. We just would read it through and we'd say, what do you think about this? What strikes you? What surprises you? And we did this, I think, with between 8 and 12 different churches over several weeks, meeting on Saturdays. And after we got this broad view of all different types of churches, we said, you know what, we're going to have a, a retreat weekend. We're going to pray and seek the Lord and ask him to give us a vision for TIC. And at this point, we didn't know what it was going to be. And I was a little nervous as the pastor because I was thinking, what if we come up with a vision that I don't like? Because <laughs> I can't, it can't be Peter's vision for TIC. Because it's not Peter's church. It's, it's got to be a, a board thing. And so we prayed. And, and before we went into the meeting, I wrote down what I was on my heart. I wrote it down. I, I just said, these are all the things. And we went into this meeting and I said, hey, let's, let's split off into different parts of the house and, and just write out what's on your heart for the vision of TIC. Rick was there, too. Although Rick was, I think Rick's out um, at the moment. And so we came back together. And I hadn't shared what was on my heart. I didn't, I didn't share anything that I had written down. I said, tell me what you've written down. So the elders start calling out things, and I just start writing them on paper. And we write everything down on the paper, and then we finish. And I said, okay, let me read what I wrote out yesterday. And so I start reading what I wrote. And there was 90% overlap between what the elders had come up with and what I came up with. 90% overlap. 5% I had that they didn't have, and 5% they had that I didn't have. And there was no disagreement. There was no arguing. There was no, that doesn't belong. And we realized that we had the pieces of the vision. 
because there was so much agreement from seven different people. And so we worked on that statement. I said, okay, let me, and we did the values the next day and it was the same thing. We all had post-it notes and we wrote out, what do you think the values of the church should be? And so everybody went into their own space, wrote out on post-it notes, and then we put them on the wall. And what we ended up with was straight lines of values. Because we were all coming up with the same thing. Like we are a family. We value scripture. We value prayer. We value leadership development. All of these things, it, we were in agreement and the session on the values actually finished 20 minutes early, which is the only meeting in four years that has <laughs> finished early. And we believed as a board that God was speaking because there were seven different people, seven different people who were in agreement on this. How could it be that there could be so much unity between people of such different theological backgrounds, such different cultural backgrounds, some who had been at TIC for a long time, some who were newcomers, and there was agreement. And so I want to read this statement to you. And I want to read it to you because it was given to us two years ago when things were looking bright at TIC, when we were on an upward trend, when, when things were growing. And it was given to us two years ago and we believed it was from God. And I've had to come to the point where do I still believe this is from God? As I look at current circumstances, is this still from God? But as I read Zerubbabel, as I read about Joshua, as I read about the situation they faced and what they went through, God's vision never changed. And so let me read this for you. We see a multicultural church of extraordinary love overflowing with joy and gratitude for the gospel, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing glory to God as it impacts Taipei, Taiwan, and the world. We see a church shining the light of Christ in Taipei across Taiwan to the ends of the earth. We see a church that has prayer at its core and has powerful worship services where believers and unbelievers alike encounter the presence and power of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. We see the Holy Spirit active in our midst as the lost are found, as broken hearts are healed, as broken families are restored, and broken bodies are healed. Wait till I'm done, Deborah. We, we see a church fully devoted to Christ, full of courageous faith, believing nothing is impossible with God. We see a church where every family member is rooted and grounded in the love of Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to serve and minister. We see a church deeply committed to loving each other, growing together and meeting together regularly in our homes and other spaces. 
We see a church where every member is confident and passionate in telling others about Jesus. We see a church family constantly making room at the table for new family members. We see a church that cares deeply for Taipei and for the isolated, marginalized, poor, and oppressed. We see a church that rejoices to see the kingdom of God expand through evangelism, mercy ministry, and justice. We see a church that invests heavily in the next generation and pours passion and resources into discipling children and youth. We see a church that is committed to raising up leaders who have a great impact and influence in all spheres of society. We see a dynamic church that is overflowing with creative expression in media, music, and the arts in order to give God glory and proclaim the gospel in new and increasingly more glorious ways. We see a church that is radically generous in helping others and sharing resources with other churches and ministries to see gospel renewal come to cities across the nation and the earth. We see a multicultural church of extraordinary love, overflowing with joy and gratitude. We see a church filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ and bringing glory to God. We see what Taipei International Church will become by God's grace and by the power of his Holy Spirit. We see a church that impacts Taipei Taiwan, and the world. That was two years ago. And I believe is still true. Joshua and Zerubbabel had to come to a point where they had to say, is it still true? Does God still have a vision? Is God still going to do this? And now more than ever, this vision could seem impossible. But if it was possible, it would be a report, not a vision. God said to Zerubbabel, it's not by might, nor by power. Go ahead, worship team, you can come on up. But by my spirit. By my spirit. God is not limited to the resources in this room. God is not limited by what we have and who we are. And God was just asking Zerubbabel and Joshua. He just said, work. Do the work. And you can only do the work that you're capable of doing and that you have the resources to do. The one thing you can control, the one thing you can control is the attitude in which you work and the effort that you give. Those are the two things that you can control. You're limited by your talent. You're limited by the resources you actually have. But what you can control is your attitude and your effort. Those were the two things Zerubbabel and Joshua had. 
And what did they do? They went to work and they went as far as they could. And while they were going as far as they could, God brought the most powerful king in the world to say, I'm giving you money from the royal treasury to finish. That's our God. That is our God. And God said, there are going to be people who despise the day of small beginnings. There are going to be people who look around and said, you couldn't do it then. You can't do it now. And he says, but those same people are going to rejoice when the work's finished. They're still going to be part of the community and they're going to be celebrating with us. And so where are we at? We're, we're obviously rebuilding TIC. And we're going to rebuild it. I don't think the vision changed. I think God knew COVID-19 was coming. I think he knew the YWCA was coming. And I think he gave this in advance because if he gave it now, we probably would not believe it. But I believe this is from the Lord. And so as long as I'm here, as long as God says, Peter, you're the pastor, this is what I'm, this is what I'm going to be leading us toward. A church that shines the light in Taipei, Taiwan, and the nations. A church of extraordinary love. A church filled with the power of the Spirit. A church that proclaims the gospel. A church that is always making room for someone on the outside. A church of joy. A church of worship. A church that invests in children. A church with Jesus at the center. That is who we are. That is where we're going. That is what we will be. And the only thing we can control is the attitude and the effort with which we will build. And so what am I asking you for? I'm asking you that, that you would give your best attitude and your best effort to what God calls you to do. I can't tell you what God wants you to do for TIC. I can't tell you where God wants you to serve. I can't tell you the amount of money that God wants you to give. But God will tell you. If you ask him, God will tell you. He'll give you a number. He'll say, I, I want you to give this amount. I want you to serve this number of times a week I want, or a, a month. I, I want you to serve in this ministry. God will tell you. And so all I'm asking for you is to ask God what he wants you to do and then give it your best effort. If you can look at the vision and the values and you could say, that's the church I want to be a part of. That's the church that I want to build. That's where I want to go. That's what I want to see. It is small. We're going to be taking some small steps over the next few months. It is small beginnings, beginnings like clarifying what our ministries do, beginnings like clarifying what time do we show up, clarifying what do we need to communicate, clarifying what does excellence look like. Those are very, very small steps that we need to take. But that's what God's asking us for, to take the small steps and to work. And I believe that it's not going to be because we're brilliant. It's not going to be because we've got all the resources, but it's going to be because TIC belongs to Jesus Christ. And it's his building project. So let's stand. 
let's let this be the prayer of our church. Christ, be magnified. Christ, may you be magnified in us. May you be magnified through us. May you help us to take the small beginnings. May you help us to trust you for more. May you help us to love each other, to welcome one another, to care for one another. And may you rebuild TIC so that it becomes the church that you want it to be. Lord, it was your church from the beginning. And so may each one of us come in into alignment with your purpose, with your will. And may we walk together, encouraging one another and building each other up in love. And may we see your miracles. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. If you were encouraged, please consider subscribing and leaving a review on iTunes or Spotify so others can find our channel. If you have a friend who would be encouraged by this episode, please let them know about it. Share it with them. If you live in the Taipei area and you'd like to join us on a Sunday for service, go to our website, www.taipeichurch.org. And if you're around the world and you'd like to participate in our Sunday service, you can join our live stream on our YouTube channel, Taipei International Church. So whether you live in Taipei, Taiwan, or another nation, may God bless you, may His face shine upon you, and may He give you peace. See you next time.